0: Hello, everyone. Hello, world. Welcome to another episode of Mr. Speaker Speaks. You know, this is the podcast that educates, stimulates and rejuvenates your mind by way of interactive dialogue and deep stimulating conversations. It's here where people share their stories to help inspire and motivate others. The show actually where the guests get to speak. You can learn more about me at uh, vincenttedwards.com. And if you want to grow personally, professionally, or spiritually, you can check out my online community at vincentondemand.com, where you get exclusive access to seminars and much more um, to help you pivot into your purpose with power and precision. You know, I always say that life is all about purpose and the question becomes do you know yours? Today's episode of Mr. Speaker Speaks is brought to you by the Knight Law Firm. They specialize in personal injury law, criminal defense law, and family law. You can call them at 850-513-3151. Uh, you can learn more about them at com. The Knight Law Firm, the representation you need, the service you need desire. My guest today will be Dr. Demetra Williams. We're going to find out more about her and she's going to tell us all about her book, Leading While Broken. But like always here on Mr. Speaker Speaks, we go to the Lord in prayer first and have the pleasure of having Dr. Demetra lead us in prayer today.
1: Thank you so much for this opportunity. God, we just thank you, God, God, we thank you for allowing us to come together, God, and to talk about you, God, to talk about how you brought us back together again, God. We thank you, God, for this opportunity, God, just to say thanks. God, you didn't have to do it, but you did. God, we just ask that you look over us, and God, search us. If there's anything that's not like you, God, take it out in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you, God, for healing us. God, we thank you, God, for freeing us. God, we thank you, God, for giving us, God, a a way, God, to live, God. We thank you because, God, you loved us before we even loved you. And, God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Now, God, we just ask that you touch this podcast, God. We ask that you allow people's ears to be open, God, and hearts to be open so they can receive what you have to, to hear. God, we thank you, God. God, for the leader of this podcast, God, we ask you to continue to bless his ministry, God, bless his church, God, and bless God, his job, that in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you in advance for everything that you're about to do, God, and we just give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so very much, doctor. And the inspirational verse of scripture that I will use today to kick off today's show comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 34 and 18. And it reads, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 34 and 18. My guest today, Dr. Demetra Williams, is a graduate of the University of Cincinnati, where she received two bachelor degrees in history and secondary education, respectively. She moved um, from Ohio in 2002 and immediately began teaching in Orlando, Florida. She earned her master's degree in educational leadership from Troy University. She furthered her education by obtaining a doctorate degree in educational leadership from North Central University. She has been in the education field for the past 17 years. She has worked with students in grades 6 through 12 uh, in that learning environment. She also serves as a subject matter expert for two universities. She is currently a virtual instructor and has been in the distance learning field for over eight years. Dr. Williams is a member of Holy Trinity Church of God in Christ in Sanford, Florida, under the pastorate of her husband, Elder Jeffrey P. Williams, Jr., She's a speaker, teacher, and workshop coordinator. Of all the positions she holds, her most important is being a wife and a mother. In 2008, she married the love of her life and they welcomed their son, Jeffrey Paul Williams, uh, into 2012. With all that being said, that's what's on paper. Dr. Williams, welcome to Mr. Speaker Speaks.
1: Thank you so much. You forgot to add that we're friends. It, that was not
0: added well I, you know I, i'll go through that for full disclosure i i do happen to know um dr williams she she is a friend and not only um a friend but she is um the the youth director for western florida second um jurisdiction for the church of god in christ in uh, florida she is over uh the entire youth department and so indirectly i somewhat report to her so you know <laughs> since, since you want to go all the way out there with full full disclosure i don't
1: share that we are a team,
0: uh, we are a team. most definitely so I, I read your bio but i, I want to really start off with this question so the audience can really get an idea of who you are y- you said that your, your first your most important is being a wife and a mother, if your husband and your son were to talk to you and share with people their view of you in two words, what would those words be?
1: Oh, my goodness. If my husband and my son, I think loving and giving. Um, I think I, I love my my husband and my son, and I try to give him everything I can. So hopefully, let's hope those are the two words they would use. <laughs>
0: But how would you describe yourself?
1: Um, loyal. Um, if I'm, I told somebody else, if about am on your team, I'm on your team. Um, and I am a loving person. I, I don't know how, all I know how to do is show love. And that's just the way I was raised. And so I, I would say loving. I'm extremely loving.
0: What is brokenness? If you could share with us that, what is, what is brokenness? Because it could mean a whole lot of things, but to you, what is brokenness?
1: Um, brokenness means to me that, um, you're, you're not where you used to be. You're not even what you used to be. Um, you know, we're all different vessels and you're not the vessel that God is able to use. I know, um, when my brokenness happened, I, I thought I was a vessel, but I was hurting. I, w- I was so distant from God. I wasn't hearing from him. I sat myself down. I wouldn't speak because like I said, I couldn't hear God's voice. I wasn't praying like I used to. I wasn't reading the word like I used to, and I wasn't spending any time with him. And so I felt like for me, that's where my brokenness was. That's that's what brokenness was for me.
0: With all that you do, all the different roles that you have in education and dealing with children and dealing um, with adults, what role did that play in your ultimately becoming what you consider to be broken?
1: I think what was hard is because I am a leader, I, I didn't want to admit that I was broken and I operated and and looking good and making sure everything looked good for everyone else that I didn't give myself time to hurt or I, I didn't give myself time to to take care of myself. And so I poured out so much that I had nothing left to pour into me. Like um if if you don't get your oil change in a car, if you never add oil to a car, it'll it'll keep going for a long time. But the car is gonna eventually break down. And so that's what I felt like it happened to me that I was pouring out and giving out so much, just you know, driving here, giving to somebody um, that I wasn't getting anything poured back into me. So after time, I just broke.
0: How, you know, we, we, we talk about brokenness. But how does brokenness differ from life's normal everyday challenges and the things that you go through? What's the difference?
1: I think for me, the difference was I think the challenges of everyday life I can handle. God gave me the the grace to handle that. But when it came to my brokenness, it was something I could not fix because i and I'm, I can tell you this because I tried it. I tried to fix myself. I was uh, selfish enough and um, self-righteous. I did, just thought I could fix me because as a leader, I know leaders pride themselves in fixing problems. And so when challenges come, we, we know how to deal it. challenges and we deal with them, even though they may not feel good, we deal with them. But I realized that I wasn't an everyday challenge when I realized I couldn't fix me.
0: Hmm. Who was the most influential person In your childhood. Who was the most influential person in your childhood?
1: My daddy um, and my grandfather. Um, I'm a daddy's girl. My parents have been married for 47 years. Um, I take a lot after my dad. And I think that was part of the, I talk about that in the book that my dad raised me to be strong and to not necessarily show a lot of emotions. And so I found it tough to cry because I really never seen my father cry. And that's who I try to, you know, I try to be like, my dad is a very giving person. He's, you know, when you see him, you you won't realize, but when you get to know him, he'll give you the shirt off his back. And he's literally done that to people. Um, he was a neighborhood football coach. Everyone, all the kids knew us. Um, even though we lived in the hood, we were, my dad was respected. And because of him, I never had to join in any game because I was always coached, uh, coach Gaston's daughter. And so my dad, that's my number one influence.
0: What prompted you to begin to write this book, to share your story with others?
1: This book has actually um, been in my heart for a couple of years since. I mean, this whole thing of being broken wasn't something that happened one time and then we were good. I feel like I was broken for a while and I just operated so long it felt normal to me. Um, That I just got used to, and I got used to the hurting, like, and I just didn't deal with it. And so, what prompted me to to write the book is I had I realized there I wasn't the only person out there. I had talked to even people in the room. um, We would have conversations about being hurt, but still having to lead, still having to be a chair lady, still having to be a teacher, a wife, a mom, a first lady, but not realizing how to deal with the hurt. And so, I realized there had to be other leaders out there that needed to hear that hey, it is okay not to be okay.
0: I I like that because that leads to my next question. Because I really want to get into this book. I I really found it interesting. Because one of the things you lead off with is people lie, and (laughs) people lie, and you kind of alluded to that just now. Because you know, you know, I'm just going to have some fun. This is podcast. You know how you doing? Oh, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm, you know. (laughs) You know how 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 they do it. I'm oh, I'm good. I'm 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 good, blessed, highly, highly favored. <laughs> so you say people lie. What do you really mean by that? And give us a little bit more of a backdrop on that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we we do it every day. When someone asks how are you doing, your first thing you say is okay, because you don't. One, it may be somebody you don't want to share your business with, or you're you don't want to be vulnerable with people. I think being vulnerable is one of the hardest things as a leader because we take that um, being vulnerable as being um being weak and we don't want people to see the the not so great sides of us and so we have to lie are you good yeah, i'm good i got it and sometimes you don't have it and so we do lie we lie to ourselves we lie to others when we say we're good and we're not it's it's just that simple and we and we don't do it to to be um malicious we just one don't may, you may not trust them with our you know the inner uh issues of our hearts and or you just don't want to be vulnerable
0: but isn't vulnerability and transparency one of the great attributes of a leader?
1: I mean, that's uh Mr. Speaker. That sounds nice to say, right? Like it really sounds nice. We, we want We want to hear that all of our leaders are transparent and uh, they're all vulnerable. But if you look at your pastor, it tells you the issues that he's struggling with. Will you continue to look at him as your pastor? Or will you just look at the issues that he's dealing with? If, um, you know any any other leader told us what their vulnerabilities were. Would somebody else try to exploit it, or would they take it for what it is and so that 's why it 's tough as a leader to know at what level you can be transparent at what level you can be vulnerable because people take it for weakness. Um, like I said, people want to hear your transparency until it 's something that they don 't want to hear they don 't want to hear how a pastor yeah i 'm having issues with fornication they don 't want to hear that. You know, if, and and if we're honest, that, that'll be some issues that people deal with. People don't want to hear those issues, or you know, if you had a pastor that had a drinking issue, or not even a pastor, a a leader, they don't want to hear that. So it's hard to be transparent when if I if I share this information, you're going to use it against me. That's why it's hard to be transparent and, and vulnerable.
0: So what do leaders do? Because you share in your book that leaders typically have no one to really talk to. How do you find that one person that you can open up and share that can help you? Um, I liken it to, I have a friend, he's a real good friend and I call him, you know, um, my AO, my accountability officer, and I can go to him and talk about a lot of different things, but how would you direct people who are in leadership positions to find someone that they can really share and receive help and not find their information on um, CNN.
1: And and that's one of the toughest things about being a leader is not knowing who you can share information with. I know my sister um, Chanel's on here. We've had conversations and I've never heard anything I share with her, anything i told Shekinah, anything I told these two ladies, I'd never heard it again. Um, you know, you have to start off with little bits of information. Like tell them a little bit and then just, just wait to see if you hear it again or if it's used against you again, because you, I don't feel like you should, when you meet somebody, tell them everything because you want to make sure, you know, you're holding them accountable as they're holding you accountable. But I always tell people real recognizes real, you know, it's it's girls on here that I've been, uh, been big sisters to since they were in pageants, real recognizes real. And you can absolutely see that. And, I think if you're praying, you can also pray for God to give you some discernment and to show you, like, God, who do I need to talk to? Because at first I thought it was other first ladies, but I realized that they weren't it all the time, you know. Um, and so you just have to I feel like you share a little bit of information and see where, you know, see where that goes. And then definitely ask God to to show you, God, who can I be vulnerable to? And he absolutely will. And he'll show you. Who, and it's the sad part is, is when he showed you somebody not to be vulnerable to so it's going to be somebody that's close to you that you didn't realize you couldn't be. And that's what you have to be prepared for.
0: I like the way you said that we had the phrase when I was growing up saying game, no game, you know, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it game recognizes game, which is something you talk about recognition. You know, I'm, I'm good. You know, you know, it's just like somebody, you know, have a substance abuse uh, problem. I'm good. But what are some telltale signs? You know, how how do I recognize? How do I know? Hey, I may need to talk to somebody. I I may need to reach out to someone, doctor.
1: Um, one you have to be ready to to recognize it. I, you know, when we're talking about um, addictions, we can't get anybody into rehab rehab unless they want to. And so you have to, you know, be willing to recognize. Um, I know for me that I found myself I was spending more and more time alone. I actually. I shut, not that I shut myself away from people, but that's kind of what I did. Like, I just wasn't calling people. I wasn't messaging people and people like, what's wrong with you? And oh, I'm fine. But I really wasn't fine. Um, Like I said, I couldn't, I wasn't praying like I used to. I wasn't sleeping well at night. I just, my mind, I feel like, feel like, I feel like it runs, I don't know, a hundred miles an hour. And so my mind wouldn't shut off. I wasn't picking up. I was more pessimistic about life. Um, I just, I didn't feel close to God. I didn't feel like, hey, dad, what's going on? I felt like it was so far away. I felt like I couldn't hear from him. I felt like I couldn't talk to him. And then there are days that I just was, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm ready to just just skip in, you know, throw in the, not necessarily quit my life, but throwing the ministry towel. I just want to, I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit at home. And um, then I, you know, I felt guilty about not being okay. So I think some of the the telltale signs are you start feeling like you're away from God and you're not reading like you're supposed to. You're not spending time with God like you're supposed to. You're not, um, you know, praying, even fasting. You know, we fast on Tuesdays and Fridays as a church of God in Christ, but you do that as, as out of habit, not out of, let me get something out of this fast. So those are some of the telltale signs that I used.
0: I want to talk about this whole isolation and how did you feel uh, being isolated when you put yourself or you took yourself out of the arena and just wanted to be alone and I'm just reminded here you know when I was pledging you know that great fraternity
2: no.
0: uh, <laughs> I'm gonna let you get some. I'm gonna let you get some shouts out in just a second um, when I was pledging that great fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated oh. they told us never to get by yourself never to get by yourself and and I recall you know it, it got a little rough and I I said forget this and I actually left my Lion brothers and I got to myself and oh my goodness did the thoughts just start running through my head and everything was just spinning what was it like for you when you just isolated yourself did you feel the world coming down on you did you just feel I mean I know you talked about giving up at, at one point but how did it really make you feel because I just broke down and cried and was like, this, this is foolishness.
1: Um, I, like, as people don't realize I'm actually an introvert. So the first part of isolation felt good. Cause I had, I didn't have to talk to anybody. I didn't have to be on, I, I know I don't, under, people have to understand when you know, you have to cut on to, to go on. You have to cut the switch on, switch, switch on when you're around people. And so for me, but then I realized that I had nobody pouring into me. I had nobody, you know, saying anything encouraging to me. Um, but then I felt like it was just me against the world. I didn't feel like I had anybody I could talk to. I didn't feel like anybody knew what I was going through. Um, and then, like you said, when you're isolated, you have so much time to think. And a lot of times you're not thinking the best thoughts. You're thinking negative thoughts. Um mm-hmm. You know, you you get isolated, you're like, is that person, are they, you know, you're looking at social media, are they talking about me, they got issues with me, Um, the devil starts getting in your head, and um, he he makes you feel like you're alone and nobody cares about you, and so when you're by yourself, you have nobody to say, sis, it's going to be okay, you have nobody to say, bro, you got this, and when you're by yourself, it's like an island, you know, it gets really lonely, but then the waves can start crashing and then it can get really loud. And you're not hearing what you're supposed to be hearing. And so for me, when I isolated myself, it got worse for me. Everything got worse. Like you said, I felt the weight of everything because I could could think about everything now. I didn't keep myself too busy where I wasn't thinking. I was able to think about everybody and think about all the roles that I'm supposed to be doing, how I'm supposed to look, what I'm supposed to say, what I'm supposed to wear, how am I supposed to act in every situation with every role. Because every role has a different expectation of me. And I wanted to be, you know, the best that I could be for everybody. And it was, I realized that I couldn't. And I, like you said, the weight of the world came crashing down on me when I was by myself.
0: You're listening to Mr. Speaker Speaks. And my guest today is Dr. Demetra Williams. And we're talking about her book, Leading While Broken. This isolation um, from everything and everybody, what impact? did it have on those closest to you? And I'm just going to deal with your husband and your son. What impact did that have?
1: I think it was probably hard for him because I'm, because like I said, I was, I was created to be strong. This way my dad created me. I don't think he knew how to help me. And it was rough because my husband was just becoming a pastor and it's not something we went to look for. It's something that God placed literally on his, in his lap. And so I think it was rough for him because he didn't know what was going on with me and I wasn't forthcoming and saying, hey, I'm going through something. I just backed up. Um, I know it it did. um It, it messed with my mind and messed with our marriage. I, you know, it had me thinking, do I even want this? He probably thought the same thing. Is this even going to work? Because I just took a step back from everything. Um And then when I was by myself, I started thinking about I felt guilty about thinking of all the regrets that I had, all the shame it just came pouring down. And, and, you know, we know that we say God forgives us, but I was, I wasn't forgiving myself. And so I think for him, it was rough because he didn't know how to help me. And he just, he didn't know what was wrong because I didn't share. I'm not very forthcoming when it comes to helping me. So
0: that's, that's very interesting there because a, a lot of times, you know, as leaders, we want to, you know, just say, Hey, I've got this and it is hard to share, you know, and I'm a, an army veteran and I know sometimes vulnerabil- vulnerabilities uh, are viewed as, as weaknesses and it's really hard, but you have so much going on and you want to be everything to everybody. How important is it for you to just say, Hey, I got to back off. I need a break. I got to take, take, take a break, take a rest, t- turn off the phones, turn off everything. How important is that? And how hard
1: is it? It's important because um, we talked about earlier when you are getting no oil in your car, your car is going to break down. You need to get to a place where you can take a break to get poured back into, to let everything, let your hair down where you don't have to be doctor, first lady, uh, Mrs. uh, President, chair lady, uh, wife, mom, you have to find a place where you can just let your hair down and breathe. It is so important to refill yourself as a leader because you pour out so much. And before, uh, if there are people on here that would, they could, could test, I wouldn't tell people, no, can you? Yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. I found myself running myself ragged um, and, you know, pe- and not even getting the respect that I thought I I, I deserved because I was running around for people. Um, and so I it was hard for me to not. You know, to, to take a break because so I'm like, no, I got to be here. I got to be there. But then I realized if something happens to me, it's going to be another president in that position. It's going to be another teacher in that position. Um, people are going to replace me really quick. And so I understand now it's important to c- cut everything off and to say, God, I need you, just me and you, because you can get so busy doing God's work that you're not hearing from God. And it's also hard because as a leader, We're so attached to, even technology has us attached to work all the time. There were days when I I took a vacation to Jamaica, but I didn't take off work because I was able to bring my computer. Was that the smartest thing to do? No, but in my head, oh, I can still work and not have to use days. But I really wasn't on vacation, even though I was in a a tropical country, because my mind was still thinking about work. It's hard as leaders because we love what we do, and you can't cut off, you can't cut that off just just so uh, immediately like that. And so... I think it's hard to take a break because we sometimes think if we're not handling it, it won't get handled. Um, We think that people won't do it the way we want them to do it. And sometimes we just can't trust people to do it. And so it's hard to take a break, but it is absolutely needed for your sanity and for your um, duration. If you want to if you want to endure in life and endure being a leader.
0: One of the things I often share is delegate or die. And sometimes it's it's very hard, but you have to get to that point because I feel one of the greatest things that a leader could do is to develop other leaders. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that, doctor?
1: I think that's the telltale sign of a leader. How many leaders are you developing? If people are just following you, then you're not a leader. If you can develop a leader, then you're a leader. Um, and that comes with, like you said, delegating and having the the wherewithal to understand you can't do it all. Somebody said, I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I just need to surround myself with those people. Understand where your weaknesses are and, you know, realize it's not a vulnerability to say, oh, I, I can't do PowerPoints. Let me find somebody who can or I'm not good with Photoshop. Let me find somebody who can. And that's not a knock on your leadership. So I, I think it's really important to develop other leaders as a leader.
0: You talk about being isolated you talk about not trusting uh too many people you talk about self isolation and things of that nature but what was one of the things that you did to get back on track because i'm i'm just going back to when you talked about surrendering to god but you know you're already you know Say sanctified, Holy Ghost filled. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just using that filled with the mighty burning fire. What do you mean by really surrendering to God to help this healing process begin once you recognize that you're actually broken?
1: So, after I recognized I was broken and then realized that I couldn't fix me, I knew that I needed to be in the hands of somebody bigger. And so, it wasn't until then, you know, we talk about the story um, about the man at the Pull of desert, Do you want to be made whole? That I really wanted to be made whole that I was able to surrender the broken pieces to God and even you know those those sharp pieces you know cuz when a when a when a glass breaks there are sharp pieces you know we say don't walk around so when you break there are sharp pieces that can cut other people there is pieces that are as fine as dirt um and sand molecules and so it's important that you I was able to say God here is every piece that I have the good the bad the ugly the things that I'm ashamed of things I'm still guilty of um it wasn't until then when I said, "God, I can give you the broken pieces of my life, and literally give them to Him and not try to help Him," because you know there are times we feel like we can do better than God and say, "God, no, we know what You want to do here." And so it wasn't until I literally gave Him the pieces and surrendered. Yes, I'm saved, sanctified, the Holy Ghost, speaking tongues that Spirit, but I was broken. And I wasn't until I said, "God, take all of these pieces, and I need You to put me back together again." It wasn't until then that I realized that. I could, I could make it because, and once I gave him the pieces, I I took a deep breath because I realized I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to worry about fixing me.
0: You're listening to Mr. Speaker Speaks, and I'm talking today to Dr. Demetra Williams, and we're doing this broadcast live on Clubhouse. And at this time, I'm going to ask if there's anyone in the audience that has a question at all um, that they would like to ask. um, You can go ahead and raise your hand. And, Doctor, you are a moderator now, so you can um, bring them up if if they like. Um, So anyone have any questions? You talk about being still, um, being still. How does that differ from isolation and just being away from everything to help the healing process?
1: I think being still, if you um, think about a car, I know in my car, I cannot put in my navigation while I'm driving. I have to sit still to put in Because if you're trying to put your navigation in while you're still moving, you can crash. And so being still gives you the space to, one, hear from God. Because we, once again, because we're leaders, we move so much. We're always doing something. And so um, sitting still is different from isolation because I'm not taking myself away. I'm just sitting still and allowing God to talk to me and to say, show me what my next move is. God, let me put something in the GPS so you can show me the best way to get to uh, point B.
2: Chanel,
0: you have a question.
2: Of course I do. First of all, thank you, Mr. Speaker, for allowing me to uh, come to the platform and share. And of course, the one and only doctor. I I am so beyond proud of you. I'm proud of your stance. I'm proud of your ability to be honest. Um, So, my question to you would be in this, um, with all the roles that you have, all the positions that you have, when you feel like you are at that bro- that point of being broken, and you are a lot like me, um, where you don't want to really talk or share, you prefer to become introverted and just deal with it internally. What advice would you give to another young adult, young person, adult, who are like you and me um that is transitioning or trying to break free but can't because of the 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 place of where they're broken if that makes any sense
1: i do i think um we're talking about being broken um and realizing it sis i think it's so important that you find a place where you can go because sis you know i know you she is she y'all call me busy she's just as busy um So it's important that you find a place where you can go. My place is the beach. Um, My sorority sister, Nikita, know we love the beach, the beach, the beach, the beach. I found this is what I would do. I would take off work. I would allow my husband to go to work and my son to go to school. And so when I got to the place where enough was enough, I took myself to the beach. I stopped and got some crab legs and some shrimp. And I went to the beach and I was able to scream. I was able to holler. You know, I can go into the water and I'm not a big crier because I don't want people to see me cry. But I was able to let some tears out being in the water. So, sis, you have to find a place where you can be still. I cut my phone. I cut my ringer off because I knew if I didn't put anything back into me, I was going to break down. And so this is what I tell you. Find a place where you can go, where you can be you. You can take off every title, you can take off every position and nobody's expecting anything of you. Find that place you can go to and say, "God, I need you to fill me again. God, I need you to do this." Because you got to realize it's not you that can that can, it's only God that can do it. And so find you a place you can go. I don't know where your where your go-to place is, but find a go-to place. And you know, mine wasn't with my family. It was away from my husband. I love my husband. I love my son, but it was away from them where it could be just me and God one-on-one and he could fill me back up again.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Florida is a great place to be in, to get away.
0: Yes, indeed. Especially if you're <laughs> down there with the mouse.
1: <laughs> yes. Great places.
0: Down there with, with the mouse. When you look at men and women, Do you think it's more challenging for a man or for a woman to admit brokenness and try to continue to lead? And if so,
1: why? I think it has, I think being a male and being a female has their own different challenges. I think if you're a female leader in a corporate America, you don't ever want to look broken. I think if you're a man leading a household, you don't ever want to look broken. So I think it's Every, you know, every gender has its own challenges because men were created to lead. And I think, you know, growing up, like I said, I never really saw my dad cry. And so for for men, I think it's tough because you all can't be vulnerable because there are people that are going to look at you as weak. And but as women, I think we try not to be not that we can't. We try not to be because we want to be looked at as strong.
0: In your book you talk about it's okay to cry and mm-hmm. i often talk to men about that and i say well one of the greatest men in the world knew that i i, I know uh he cried and that's the shortest verse in the bible it say like, jesus wept mm-hmm. so what do you mean by it's okay to cry and where do you cry because you said it's hard for you yourself to even cry but in your book <laughs> you said it's okay help it us is. to understand
1: so it is okay to cry um And that's, I told you, I found myself going to the beach where I could cry, but I think you need to find a place or even someone you can be vulnerable to. There is nothing like crying and somebody holding you and telling you it's going to be okay. Somebody encouraging it. And I'm telling you, God is so amazing. He'll send somebody that you won't even expect. And that person will be there just to let you know it is going to be okay. Um, And that crying is a release because we hold on to so much. You know, and and like I said, I looked at crying as a weakness. And it wasn't until going through this process that I realized, no, crying is a release. You know, for me, I found a place where I could go cry. If I cry in front of my son, he's going to, mommy, what's wrong? So I didn't feel like I could do that. Or even when we heard our grandfather passed away, my son was sitting right in front of me, so I couldn't react. Until my husband got home and we got to a point where we could be by ourselves and and shed tears. And so find a place where you can go to cry because you have to release it. The more you hold on to it, the more pressure. We know pressure busts any cap that you have and we don't want it to bust your head. So your crying releases the hurt. It releases the shame. It releases the embarrassment. It releases pain. Everything that you're holding on to, it releases it. And it's so important to do that.
0: One of the things I talk about all the time, even when I deal with young people and, you know, from a personal, professional growth development standpoint, I said, you know, the easiest way to get to some place is to ask for help. You know, we often said, if you don't know, ask somebody. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know, ask somebody. In in your book, you you, you talk about this four-letter word, help help you know that you know why do we tend to not to ask for help and i'm just going to use men you know hey sweetie uh should we turn that way i got this i know which way i'm going i don't need no more help just sit over there and ride you don't like to drive anyway just ride just ride but why do we not want to ask for help until until it's almost absolutely too late
1: Our pride, our pride is so big. We don't want people to think that um, I couldn't do it on my own. We, you know, and so we know pride uh, comes before destruction. We know that. So asking for help. Okay. Growing up, people always say, if you need me, ask me for help. And so I know I've asked people for help and they never let me forget that I helped them. Um, And so that really bothered me or they, they told other people that they helped me or, you know, um like I said, we didn't have a lot of money, so people would give us clothes. And so people would tell me, oh yeah, those are the shorts I gave her or the pants, and that would be so embarrassing. And so I didn't like I didn't want to ask for help because I had to admit that I didn't know what I was doing or I had to admit that I couldn't do it by myself and, and you know, we always say I got this, I got this. And so it's it's hard to ask for help because we have to admit that we we need it and we don't have it all and we can't do it on our own and um and we just, sometimes we just expect people to give lip service and they, and they do. Some people say, you know, if you need help, call me. And it's somebody like sister, my sorority sister, Nikita. It's a, it's, she's in my, my Delta squad down here. Yeah. I,
0: I was going to tell you, you got to go ahead and give a shout out to, 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 to your um, sorority. Now so you go say
1: beta sorority incorporated. All um, right. The very best sorority. Um. So just, just so you know, um. but
0: I'll let that one slide.
1: I don't understand why you have any other difference. It's the very best celebrity. But my sisters, we can literally say, do you need something? And we make uh, my squad down here. There's no such thing as lip service. When she was down, we helped her. When I was down, we helped her. Our other sister, we, we, that's what we do. And but there's so many people that give lip service that say, if you need anything, let me know. But then when you ask them, they find every excuse in the book not to help
2: you.
0: Yeah. And those I I just I don't even know if I would call them associates because, you know, and it's very challenging because we as leaders give of ourselves all the time. And the one time when we need help, everybody turns away. But I really thought about my mother, um, the late Bonnie Edwards, when you said, you know, people would give you stuff and then they bring it up. One of the things my mother would say all the time, if you're going to do something for me and tell somebody about it. Don't do it at all.
1: Don't do it at all. (laughs) Don't do
0: it. Don't. You know, you know, and, and, and so, that's the thing. So now when it comes to this whole idea of receiving help, uh, Mm -hmm. sharing with people, it all boils down to one thing in my mind and that's relationships. Mm -hmm. And so how do you go about establishing as a leader, the right relationships? Because everybody can't be in your camp. I always talk about, sometimes you just got to eliminate the nouns, people, places, and things out of your life. What, what, insight can you share on how to develop the right relationships for a leader that when they're broken they can talk to somebody
1: i think it starts small i I don't think it starts off as hey i'm broken let me um come help me i think it starts small you trust in somebody with doing something or saying something to them and you realize that that's somebody i can trust my squad is small My, my delta squad here is small we love other we love all of our sorority sisters but our squad is small and um, not because we won't let anybody else in, but we know we got each other's back. We 110, we, we got each other's back. And so I think, and that started off small, just, you know, little things. Hey, do you mind? And no, I don't mind. Or let me offer something. And I think um, you just have to start off small with somebody. You have to, you know, earn your way up and from both sides. You can't expect somebody to do stuff for you and you're not doing, you know, anything, something for somebody. But I think to start off start off slow talk you know talking to them and hey am i hearing that again is it on social media you know the, one of the worst things i hate is when people are seeing people at their worst you know we see people that are um who are homeless and we we're, we're seeing people f- it's i understand you're helping them but you i don't want to be on my worst on social media with somebody handing me a food or some some a plate of food or some clothes don't put me at my worst and so i think seeing how people act when you're not at your best is another indication if they can be in your circle. H- how is somebody when you're up and how does somebody act with you when you're down? So I think that's a good indication if that person could rock with you.
0: All right. So let's get a little bit more about you. What made you move <laughs> into the arena of education?
1: I've always wanted to be a teacher. You know, uh, my parents were foster parents and I was always the teacher of the, of the, of the group. I've always, my mom was the, we used to have um the truancy officers. I don't know if they have them now, but you know when people used to skip school, <laughs> they used to go looking for them, and they used to call home. And that was back in the day when hey, you know, so and was not in school today. Um, my mom was a truancy officer. My mom was the PTA president. and um, they were really involved in when I was in school. And I've always wanted to work with kids. I've I've always known. Like I said, I was a I was a teacher of my of, of my of the kids in my um my parents' house. I was always trying to teach them a song or teach them some kind of lesson. And so I've always wanted to be a teacher. I went into college knowing I wanted to be an educator. And so I always tell people my ministry is with young people and that's just my passion. That's not also just, it's not my job. It's my passion and my ministry is young people.
0: What's been the greatest challenge with you with your passion of dealing with young people?
1: It's never the young people. It's the parents and the paperwork. It's, all, it's, all, it's never the
0: young people. Oh, you, you sound like you've uh, been a, a AAU coach or a little league coach. I've,
1: I've, coached, I've coached AAU sports. I was a track I, I coach. I coached sports. I've been a teacher. So it's never really the, the kids because, you know, our kids are, you know, they're only giving off what they see. And so if you can just break it, um, figure out, Hey, let's just break that, uh, the issue of what's going on. But, for me, I think one of the hardest things is a kid not seeing their potential and you see it in them. Like I always tell my kids, I wish you can see yourself like I see you. I wish you can see the future that I see. And I think um, just, you know, cause taught in some of the toughest areas in Orlando and just not seeing the kids, not understanding what they could possibly become, but the, those kids are, you know, they're naive. They're vulnerable. They're, they're just still kids. I don't care if they're 16, 17, they're still kids in my eyes. And I don't really have issues with the kids. It's the parents and the paperwork. It's, it's always the parents trying to, you know, it's, it's not their kid's fault. They're like, ma'am, come on. Um, but I think, you know, the paperwork, people not understand, you know, even admin and legislation not understanding what we do. If you haven't been in the classroom, it's hard for you to tell me what I should do in the classroom. Hmm.
0: <laughs> that's that's interesting. When you talk about clay, in your book, what are you talking about? Because, I, you know, I immediately go, you know, the Bible, I'm on the potter's exactly. wheel and he's spinning around and he's molding me. What do you mean when you talk about clay?
1: That's exactly what I mean. I want to give when I say I give my pieces um, to God, that's exactly I want him to put me back on the potters. wheel. I want him to treat me like I'm clay. When a potter breaks a, um, a vase, they don't throw the vase away. They pick it back up and they they reuse that clay. And they make it into something different. So when I'm talking about clay, clay is moldable. Clay is, um, it goes through the fire. Clay, you know, it spins on a potter's wheel. And so when I say clay, God, I need you to mold me again. Because whatever I'm doing right now, it's messed up. God, there's something going on with me. I'm not, I'm, I'm broken. So when I say clay, I want to be moldable for God to mold me back into something that can be used for his use.
0: Who do you or who did you write this book for? Was it for a particular audience, male, female, or anyone in a leadership position?
1: Well, first it was for me. Uh, (laughs) But then when I was going with my editor, it was tough because at first, of course, I think the audience is a church audience. But I kept trying to make it secular. And she, my editor, she was telling me, Demetri, you're trying to make this book something it's not. And I'm like, no, but I want it to be for CEO. She's like, I understand that. She's like, but you're not being true to yourself. Um, you are a church girl. She's like, it is what it is. You're a church girl. And I'm like, but I don't want it to be church. She's like, it is what it is. That's who you are. And so I think it's for um leaders, but it definitely targets leaders in the Christian faith. Um, just because I use so much scripture and everything, I want, I wanted in this book, I wanted it to be Bible based. I didn't want, I wanted to share what God told me to share, but I wanted it to be based on scripture. And so my target audience is leaders in the Christian faith.
0: What's your favorite scripture,
1: doctor? Mm, Easy. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what kept me going, that I can do it all if God gives me the strength.
0: Okay. So this leads to my next question. I mean, I know you're busy, you're broken and all that, but is there anything that still keeps you up at night?
1: Oh, yeah. I think, you know, I, I would be dishonest to say that. Oh, I wrote the book and I'm good now. No, absolutely not. I feel like as soon as I published the book, it's so much that happened in my life that I'm like, God, I'm really not the strongest person in the world. And like the past seven months has just been a lot on my plate. I think what keeps me up at night is, did I make the right decision? Did I say the right thing? Oh, I wish I could go back a couple years ago and redo that. And I hope I don't think I'm the only person that has those thoughts, but. You know, and do I feel I feel bad because I made this decision or dang, I'm guilty. Oh, my goodness. I, I shouldn't have thought that I shouldn't have did that. And so those are the things that keep me up, the regrets, the, the guilt, the shame of all the decisions that when I didn't make perfect decisions.
0: Yeah. And, and life itself, I teach all the time. It's all about choice. Um, you can choose this or you can choose that. You know, people can't make you angry. People can't make you upset. It's all about choice. And I really want people to get a real understanding of you because, you know, the phrase going around, you know, everybody has a message, but what's the mess in your message? When you look at where you are now compared to where you were, what would you say has been the biggest challenge or failure in the last year? And why do you think it happened? And how were you able to overcome it?
1: So overcome means I'm done dealing with the challenge, right?
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take you to church right now. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me and I'm victorious because he's overcome the world.
1: <laughs> and here, I believe that I will be victorious. Um, I think it's just a lot going on in our family right now. I think, um... One thing that I know that we've overcome, I think my marriage is at a better place in it than it was a year ago. I think all the things that we were dealing with it takes a toll here you know your your husband is a pastor who has his own business, but he's still a dad he also has a full time job um you start to 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 break away from each other and you have to realize that you're with somebody who's changing and I think me learning my not you know who this new guy was he's a he's a pastor now and I. And I think now we're at a great place, but we weren't at a, the best place a couple of years ago. Even um, just just not knowing who the new person was, and I think you know going through this process of God help me to see who this new man is and how I can be a blessing to him and how he can be a blessing to me. Um, I think God's showing me that sometimes you know as as spouses you blame the other person for things, and God had to show me it wasn't him; it was me. And I was like, "What? I'm perfect, God. What do you mean? What do you mean? It wasn't." But um, God had to show me that it wasn't Him; it was the way I was responding and dealing with things that. Um, and I, you know, I even pray, God, you know, help me to to love Him like He needs to be loved, and not the way I want to love Him, but the way He needs to be loved. So I would say, our marriage has gotten stronger in the past year through everything that we've gone through.
0: That's great coming together closer, building that oneness. Um, Is there anything that you would just like to share right now before I ask a, another question or is there anyone in the audience right now that would like to ask uh, a doctor, a question, please do so by, by raising your hand, but is there anything you want to share right now, doctor, specifically?
1: Um, We talk about it's, it's okay to not be okay. That is so important to understand that you don't have to always be together and I think as leaders we we make that assumption that we always have to make it look like that we're together I want to tell any leader that's listening it is okay it is okay to, to to one ask for help it is okay to realize that you don't have it all together that is a huge step in realizing you don't have it together because you're actually faking it and you know we keep saying real recognize real people will get to the point where they understand and they see that you're not being real with yourself and with others.
0: How can everyone that's listening to this today, no matter where they are, find out more about you and obtain a copy of your book and possibly book you to come and speak.
1: I would be extremely honored for anybody to go out and get my book. You can get it on Amazon. It is leading while broken. Um, You can Reach out to me on Instagram. My name is Demetra nineteen (laughs) thirteen.
0: The emphasis on that thirteen,
1: huh? I'm just saying it's it's the best.
0: Nineteen oh six.
1: It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. But you can also, and I'm on Facebook, Dr. Demetra Williams. I have a social media page for my ministry page. And if they want to book me, just reach out to me. I am not too big, where I you can't reach out to me on social media. I don't. I'm not that person like uh oh, I'm not I I respond to DMs if they're appropriate. If they're not, I I delete them. But I, I you can DM me if you want to book me. If I um, you want to buy my book, you can get on Amazon. But if you know me personally and if you want a signed copy, you don't have to know me personally to want a signed copy. You can reach out to me through my my um my DMs and get a signed copy for me. We can get one mailed out to you.
0: All right. Got just a few more questions. I'm really enjoying this and I get an opportunity to, to, to interview the the, the president of the youth department. Uh, you know, you, you have so many roles, your husband's pastor. What do you remember about the first time you walked in the church as first lady?
1: Um, so the church that my husband passed is the church that he was raised in. Mm. So it's the church that he grew up in. We were serving there. My husband was just a deacon. Um, I was a youth leader there. So when we walked in as first lady, it's weird because I never moved my seat. I still sat in the same seat that I sat in as a first lady. And it wasn't until a national leader came and I was like, Why are you sitting there? I'm like, because it doesn't matter what seat I sit in, I'm still the first lady. And he was like, I understand that, but you need to go somewhere else. And so he put me at at the front of the church just because I it was just weird when it happened. It happened so quick that I felt when I walked in, I felt the weight than than I did before. I felt the weight, and I looked at my husband, and I, I could see the weight on him. My husband absolutely loves God, and he loves his people, and so he takes his job seriously. And I can just see the weight on him. And so it wasn't like a hoo hoo, I'm a first lady. I was like, oh Lord, help me, I'm a first lady. Cause I ooh, it was rough.
0: A lot goes on. With uh, that, and you know, I deal with that issue with my wife. Leadership is tough. What has been the greatest lesson that others have taught you while you were leading them?
1: <laughs> you know, I know it sounds crazy that you can't help everybody. And people taught me that because I tried to help people. I tried to, to get them on the straight and narrow and, you know, people will say they want it, they want it, they want it. You can't, I mean, this is, you can't help somebody until they want to be helped. Like the man at the pool of Bethesda, do you want to be made whole? And until that person says yes, you cannot help them. And so I think people have taught me that um, you can't help everybody. I think people have taught me to to love myself and who I am. I i remember people were saying my heels were too high. Somebody said my heels weren't high enough. Um... Like, it was just, I heard everything. I heard every gambit of what I should look like, what I should be like, what I should act like as a first lady. But I learned from somebody that I can just be me. Jeff didn't marry a first lady. He married Demetra. And so I need to be the best Demetra that I can be for my husband as a pastor's wife.
0: With so many things in social media, so many images out there, um, you should be this way. You should be that way. I want to move specifically to young girls, young women. What would you say to that young woman, young lady right now that's listening? What suggestions, input, advice would you give to her to become the best that she was designed to be by God?
1: One, don't look at social media. Social media is not real. Um, if we, if we even are honest with ourselves, when we post a selfie, we took 10 or 12, maybe 15 to 20 pictures, just to post one picture. When we are on looking at social media, we're only looking at the best of people. So I would tell a young lady, don't look at social media as goals, couples goals, or uh, because some of the couples that are couples goals, they they really don't want to be together. They're together because of money. They're together because um, the endorsements. And so don't look at social media realize who you are and who you are in god once you realize who you are in god and say god i want you to mold me into the lady that i'm supposed to be god will do just that and he'll make you and he won't make you like anybody else when i first started in ministry i wanted to be like somebody i tried to follow her every time she was in my city it an hour away i'm still trying to get to this person It wasn't until I realized who God wanted me to be is who God wanted me to be. And so I would tell any young lady, whoever's listening, ask God who he wants you to be and he'll make you the best. You don't want to be the next so-and-so. You want to be the first Demetra, the the first Chanel, the first Leslie, the first Shekinah, the first Nikita, the first Vince. You want to be the first because God wants to do something in you that people need to hear. People don't need to hear from another, oh, she sounds like so-and-so. No, people don't need to hear that. People need to hear what's authentically in you. So don't look at social media, find out who God wants you to be and be the authentic you.
0: That's a great piece of advice, you know, because it, it wasn't until I found out in my life who God wanted me to be that I ultimately began to succeed and move along that path. I remember when I was growing up, And I was at home, and because I did so well in school, everybody wanted me, oh, you need to be a doctor. And so I just Mm -hmm. said, okay, I'll be a doctor. I got to the University of Florida, and it wasn't that I couldn't do the work, but I was like, this stuff just don't interest me at all. And it took me years to realize that my passion was in business, and my gift was that of speaking and teaching. And when I look back, and I often ask people if there was anything in your life that you would change, and a lot of people say, "Nope, they lie again, they talk about you know i yeah. I don't have any regrets I don't have any regrets and that question was posed to me, and I'll like, say, "Yeah, I wish when I first went to college." I would have majored in business rather than pre-med in chemistry and move into biology because it would have saved me a lot of time. At the same time, I learned from those experiences and those experiences because, you know, I'm, I'm very transparent. I got to the University of Florida and lost my mind. You know, I had to go to the military. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a whole other conversation <laughs> Mr. Speaker will speak about later on. But ultimately, it caused me to go around the world and Saudi Arabia and all of that to come back to be who God designed me to be. So be true to yourself and, and be authentic and listen to God. And well, Dr- they
1: try to do that with um, David, how they try to put Saul's armor on him. Like people would do that to you all the time. They try to put something on you that you are not. oh, he's going to be the next bishop. What? He, he's 12. Can he be 12 <laughs> first? Can he be a 12 year old? Yeah. <laughs> will not let him do sports. No, he got to. Pre- no, my son doing sports. My son going to have a, a child life. He gonna, he's going to be a child.
0: Oh yes, indeed, and I, I, I think they looked at me a little bit differently because I was my son's AAU coach. I was on the bench, and then I started pastoring. And I told everybody, you know, it's it's about, you know, it's about family. And I said, if I can't find anybody to cover for for me on this Sunday, and my son's out of town, uh, we're not having service. I'm going to be with my son. Right. And so, you know, he 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 is doing well, and he's now down there with you with the mouse at UC <laughs> at UCF. Uh, so he's having a good time my final question as we wrap this thing up doctor it's been so good learning about leading while broken from your humble beginnings to where you are now when you look at your life and even projecting and walking by faith to where god wants you to be my final question to you today doctor is what matters most to you my
1: family um we we just you know experienced the death of grandpa jeff's grandfather and we weren't ready we weren't prepared for that so for me and i and i always tell people time with my family because time is the only currency you don't get back you can always you can lose money you can get money back but once you lose time it's gone forever so i say my family um, my pa- my dad's trust, family is all you got. That is all you got. So that's most important to me, to make sure my family's good. Um, you know, make sure we're prayed up and make sure we're, we're following God. But making sure I'm loving on my family because with, with COVID, you know, we all have seen people that have just died and that we weren't expecting. And, you know, it ran through the church and God of Christ and it still is. And so I think spending time with my family is the most important thing to me.
0: All right. Well, as we close uh, this interview, this episode of Mr. Speaker Speaks, give out your contact information once again, doctor, because I really want those who are listening to really get the book. It's a it's a great book, a great book. And check her out on all of her uh, means of contact. Give out your information once again, doctor, please.
1: Thank you so much, Mr. Speaker, for this opportunity to be here. Once again, the book is called Leading While Broken. You can find it on Amazon under the title Leading While Broken. Or you can DM me at Demetra1913 on Gmail, uh, Demetra1913 on Twitter, or Demetra Williams, um, Dr. Demetra Williams on Facebook, if you want a personalized copy. Um, please follow me, um, everything I post. I don't actually don't post a whole lot, but I do post. Uh, but follow me, and I want you to understand that I want you to be the best you. And uh, once again, thank you for this opportunity to share about my book. And I want you all to get it because it's not just a book, it's an entire journal. We call it an interactive journal that navigates you through. And it makes you think at the end of each chapter, it gives you a, um, a question to make you think and we give you a lot of space to write because we don't want you just to write one or two. We want you to be able to write and then go back and reflect on it. So we want you to get this interactive journal leading while broken by Dr. Demetra Williams.
0: Dr. Williams. All right, and since we're broadcasting live right here on clubhouse please follow all the moderators um follow everyone reach out to them please and join um, my club it's just starting it's called mr speaker's porch it's where we can talk about this that and the other and i'm going to be bringing on a lot of different guests under that club um also please check out the podcast at podcast.vincenttedwards.com com com and if you know of anybody that wants to be interviewed and want to be on the show where they can share their story have them reach out to me we're getting ready to close out this episode of mr speaker speaks and i just thank everyone for their participation and doctor thank you for coming and sharing remember Visit me at VincentTEdwards.com and join the online community at VincentOnDemand.com so you can pivot into your purpose with power and precision. Remember, life is all about purpose. Do you know yours? Remember, in all that you do, be magnificent. And Until next time, everybody, be good, be blessed, but most of all, be a blessing to someone.